Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We wanna to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our Truth Partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a Truth Partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth, and thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. I pray this sermon blesses your life. Amen. Come on, you guys ready for the word today? My name is Andrew. I'm one of the servant leaders here, and I oversee some of our student ministries, and um, I have this privilege of, of getting to preach sometimes, share the word with you when uh, when pastor is out of town. And um, I'm excited for what's going to happen next week at Pentecost Sunday. And um, But I was chatting with pastor this week, and um, he said, you know, one of the greatest compliments a man like that can give me is like, I like it when you preach. I said, oh, thanks, Pastor. Oh, man, that's cool. I told him, 19 years under your preaching, something's bound to happen. Sunday after Sunday. How many of you guys know our pastor is anointed to preach? You guys appreciate Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Joanne, to rightly divide the word every week. And um, I'm just blessed. We, we got to talk this week. Pastor shares with the staff and the leaders occasionally at our Friday morning staff chapel. We just have a little devotional time, time in the word together. And he's been opening up and been real vulnerable. And he started talking about this passage in the Bible, which as he was talking, I started like furiously writing some notes of things I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to study that later. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into that another time because there's so many things in there that God was just bringing to my attention there that I wanted to learn more about. And then I went to lunch with Pastor after that, and we started discussing the same passage a little deeper. And as we were talking, out of that conversation, I really felt the Holy Spirit saying, don't study that later. That's for this Sunday. So that's where this, today's talk is going to come from, just out of a discussion Pastor and I had this week, just studying the Bible together. So we're going to have a little Bible study. Is that all right? We're just going to take a passage and dig in and just talk about it. And... Um, it's a passage about church growth and church leadership and church logistics and church challenges, church business, and um, what happens when the church is growing and multiplying at such a great rate, which is really relatable because churches that grow, it's awesome. We love it. Multiple services and all these things happen, and so many people come to the altar, new families great things happening, but then there's logistical issues that come along with that, like parking. Anybody with me on that? How does this, how are we getting, you know, and, and so we're, we're digging, Scripture actually has some resolution for that stuff. So we're going to dig into it today, but, but first I heard a story because we're talking about the church, we're talking about even church leaders, we're talking about people, humans, even pastors are just human and make mistakes. And I heard this story about these four pastors that went to a conference. They went to a particular denomination's conference or summit and uh, they're pouring to pastors. And, and the theme was bearing your soul and opening up and confessing your sins so that you can be healed with one another and, and, and just having some confidence in your life. And so at coffee break, these four pastors were sitting 
at a table and just started to really open up. The first pastor said, I haven't told anyone this. Nobody knows, but you guys are my brothers. I want to be held accountable. I want to get better, but I've been drinking a little too much. A little too much. And I would even preach not to do that. If my congregation ever found out, they would be shocked. I just need some help. The next pastor said, you know, to be honest, my thing, people don't know this, not even my wife, but I gamble. I've been gambling. And I've actually lost a lot of money and I'm getting into some trouble. And I just need prayer. I need to go to God about it. I need you guys to pray for me. The third pastor hung his head down low. And guys, my, my thing, you know, the last few years I've, I've kind of fudged the, the numbers a little bit on my income tax. I've kind of been fraudulent. And I know I'm not supposed to do that. I know that's not right. But I've just been hurting financially and I just need to figure out some things and I need, I need to get better at that. I don't want to do that anymore. I need some healing and some accountability. So these pastors were opening up and the fourth pastor was oddly silent. And they looked at him as if to say, what, what about you? We, we opened up, but do you have anything? He said, guys, I do have a big vice in my life. It's not alcohol. I've actually been really good with that. It's not, it's not financial issues or fraud. I've been kind of, kind of steady with that. Uh, but my big thing that I've been going through, the temptation that overcomes me, is gossip. And I can't wait to get home from this conference to tell everybody about you guys. The people are people, right? The church is full of people, flawed people. And, and we find ourselves in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts today, we're going to talk about God's math a little bit. God does math. Hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our truth partners. If you're interested in being a truth partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select truth partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you. It's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word. I always thought growing up, I'm never going to need this. And then I started, I became a preacher and realized there's a lot of math in here. God does addition. The Bible says he added daily to their number the people that were getting saved. He does addition. He even does subtraction. You find that in the book of Acts where he removed certain people, removed certain things from people's lives. And God will do that sometimes to help us get healthier. Subtraction. God will even multiply the multitudes and exponential growth. He'll do multiplication. The one type of math that God does not do is division. He doesn't do division. That's Satan's math. Satan comes in with the division, the distraction, the murmuring, the rising up against each other, trying to attack what God is doing. And what I've learned in doing 20 years or more of ministry is sometimes churches can be most at risk when they're most alive. Sometimes churches can be most at risk when they're most alive. So turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And follow along with me. Keep it open right there. We're going to dig in a little bit here. Is it okay if we just 
do a little Bible study. I'll show you a little bit about how I study the Bible. And if you're new at studying the Bible, this could help. But while you're turning there, it's really timely for this because our youth ministry on Wednesday nights, which I oversee, is for the first time ever going through a whole summer-long series, four months, of just one book of the Bible, and it happens to be the book of Acts. So every single Wednesday, the sermons come from Acts. The small groups are coming from Acts. We're talking about Acts. We're going through Acts on social media, and everyone's got a journal, and they're journaling about the book of Acts. And we're only a couple chapters in, and we've been seeing God just move. We just had a move of the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night. If you got teenagers or know any teenager or see teenager on the street, tell them to be here on Wednesday. They can still jump in. You're only a few chapters in. And, and I really believe and declare that the teenagers that are faithful, as faithful as they can be, I know people go out of town in the summer and things like that, but as faithful as they can be to Wednesday nights this summer, not only will they walk away with knowledge of the book, like knowing the book of Acts, but I believe they'll walk away accessing the power that God has stored up in the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit and the anointing that's there. And so bring them. We're having a really good time there. But it's kind of interesting that we ended up talking about Acts this week, and this, is, this all came together here. It says in verse 1, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. There's God's math again, right? Multiplication. I had the pleasure of going to coffee with a guy this week and got to hear a story about him and his family. And just in the last several months, just hearing how God has radically transformed his life, got saved, him and his wife baptized. They just dedicated their baby last week. They were able to join small groups. They want to start serving. They gave them secular music, all kinds of great things, just radical transformation going on in their life. And that's just one of hundreds of stories that's happening here at Creative uh, these last, this is revival. This is what it is. And as a leader, you can get caught in the logistical challenges and the meetings after meeting about what's wrong and what's what's happening and what needs to be fixed but it's refreshing to hear and be reminded that God is doing something here and if you've been a part of creative for a while if you if you're new welcome to the journey you're going to enjoy this ride but if you've been here for a while you know this there's a shift going on in the atmosphere there's something new and fresh that God is doing Am I, is it just me or right that that God's doing something in the season of our church so when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint. Wait, complaint? Complaining in the church? No way. I'm shocked. Church people complaining? That doesn't sound like them. Someone doesn't agree with how something's running in the church? That's odd. You know, church drama rises up no matter what kind of church you're in. Because we're people, right? This is, uh, the church complaining came against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hebrews were the Jews that lived in Jerusalem. The Hellenists were Jews that came from other parts of the world. They were all Jews, but they spoke different languages, and they were trying to get together, and there's just division happening um, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now, that's actually a very legitimate complaint. It's a, it's a real logistical error and oversight on behalf of the church leadership, which makes me realize that even in what we would call a sure move of God, 
I mean, if we talk about the book of Acts and the church that Peter and the apostles started with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus promised them that they would start and they started a movement, 3,000 people got saved at one time and then hundreds were being added all the time. We, we would call that, that's, a, that's clearly a movement. That's God's church. But does it mean it was a perfect church? No. Does it mean they had everything together? They had every logistical piece figured out? It's perfect? No. So why, why is it sometimes we think when there's an error or mistakes or complaints or oversights in the church that, oh, this must not be God anymore? It's still a move of God. Amen? Still a move of God. God is doing stuff. And so they're going through this. Here, here comes Satan's math, right? Division. We talk about the neighbor concept of people in church. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look out for your neighbor. Make sure you're neighborly. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know, hey, neighbor. We talk about the guest relationship. Like there's a guest in church. Just make sure they have a good experience. They get a free T-shirt and everything. We talk about the member experience. This is my home church now. I belong here. I've gone to the membership class. And we do talk about the brother-sister relationship in church. Like we're all family. But we talk about it in kind of the more idealistic way. My first title in church years ago was Brother Andrew. Anybody ever came up in the church and called people brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? Brother Andrew. We talk about the brother-sister idealistic love, the sibling love. It's a family of God. But we forget to talk about the sibling rivalry and the sibling annoyances. And the siblings who know how to press each other's buttons, get on each other's nerves. The siblings who are quick to point out the flaws in their siblings. That's part of being brother-sister. We can't call each other brother-sister and not expect real brother-sister conflicts that come up. And just like in your family, you didn't get to choose your brother and sister. They just showed up one day, your brother, your sister. And now you have to live with that. Good times and bad. Same with church. Brother and sister, sometimes you're just going to have to live with the good and bad. That doesn't mean give up on them. That's still your brother and sister, right? Because Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He doesn't do division. So the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, this is verse 2, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Highlight this one. Double click on this one. This is good. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. This business in the church that needs to be attended to and the apostles are like, we, we've got a lot of stuff on our plate for preaching, preparing the word. They were the guys that eventually were going to go plant churches around the world. 
And they had to get ready for that in preparation. Putting priorities in order. So they said, find some guys to handle the business. But we will continually, ourselves, continually, uh, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Wait. What'd you say, Peter? You're too good to serve tables now? Pastor of a mega church. Can't get your hands dirty in ministry anymore. All you do is pray and preach. You don't come help us at the food distribution. Right, but here's the deal. If I was thinking about the kind of pastor I want, the kind of apostle leader I want in my life, I would rather they spent their week getting in the presence of God and praying and seeking. When I need a miracle, when I need someone to get a hold of God for me and hear from God for me and prophesy the word of God in my life, honestly, I'll go find some volunteers to run the food giveaway program. Pastor, I need, is, is, is that fair? Like, is, it's great that our pastor even gets the opportunity to get away. A lot of pastors don't, that he gets to devote himself to prayer and teaching of the word. Because when it really comes down to, that's the pastor you want in crisis. It's not that the apostle is saying, I'm, too, I'm, I'm above it or I'm too good for it. It's that there's a priority in what we need to do here. And there's a lot of us at the table with a lot of gifts that can come and help that part. So they organized to resolve. I hear the saying, um, you might have heard it before, someone saying, I don't believe in organized religion. As if to say they'd prefer disorganized religion. Which that's cool if that's what you want. I, I particularly like organized religion uh, some people say if we organize something that the Holy Spirit is doing, we'll mess it up. But if I read my Bible, there's oftentimes throughout the Bible, God is an organized God. And God is empowering people all the way since Noah in an organized, specific, instructed way to organize what he wants to do in his move of God. So that's why I believe in organized religion, the way God wants to organize it. And the church is going to solve this problem of disunity and complaints and mistreatment by organizing more, not less. Let everything be done in an orderly fashion, is what the Bible says. Because if I, if I have this organism right here, this living, breathing organism, and it wasn't organized, if this was disorganized, things were out of order, that's when cancer comes. That's when disease comes. That's when injuries come. Something's out of place. And I need healing to get it back in order. Same thing with the church. This is a living, breathing organism. And we could do it without order. But then sickness will come. Disease will come. Cancer will come. Destruction will, you know what I'm saying? And so we need the order and the organization in church more as we see the move of God coming and the revival coming and people getting saved and the church growing. We need it more. Because healthy things grow. So things, and they did this growth. They have 3,000 people plus in the church. No microphone, right? No building, no parking lot at all. You had to walk there, right? No broadcast signals and all that kind of stuff, but they had this awesome uh, issue this problem of growth that we all that we have, 
and, and we're, we're, we're the leaders that God appointed are there to help solve, come up with an issue. I was talking with John. We were talking about this season of revival that we're in, and he said something really great. You can't expect to have revival without mess. Revival is messy. It is messy. You can't, if you want the clean cut, everything's perfect, everything's in order, and nothing ever goes wrong, we don't have to fix anything, that's probably the church that's not growing. That's probably the move that's not moving. And so the 12 people, they realize they need to raise up leaders, and they raised up a few. And I want to talk about those people. I want to talk about how God did that because that's there's something God is teaching in the scripture that just jumped out at me I just, as I was digging in. I wanted to I just ask a lot of questions. This is what I do. I read a passage. I, I read it through and then I read it again verse by verse and then I start asking questions. God, why would you say that? Why is that in there? Why is that said like that? And then I go study a couple more places and I try to find other places in the Bible where Jesus said something similar and try to connect the dots to bring some more context and more, uh, more power to, to what I'm reading. And then I get a little more understanding. And then I go to different dictionaries in the Bible, uh, different dictionary resources and commentaries around the Bible that Bible scholars put together to gain even more resources. And then I go to YouTube and find a bunch of sermons on this topic and hear more, different perspectives. And then I go to God and I put this all together and I'm like, God, what are you saying to me in this scripture? That's Bible study. And the, res- the resolution to this issue might be right here in the house. A few pages earlier, these same 12 guys, well, 11 of them, that's a different story, but um, these guys were with Jesus. And when they saw the crowd show up, they freaked out. And they said, we got to send them home. There's too many people. When they, saw, when they saw kids come, they were like, oh my gosh, get them out of here. They're disrupting. When they saw that people were hungry, they were like, send them home. We don't have enough food. And Jesus was teaching them, no, no, I got this. This is my church. I'll take care of this. So here they are, a little more grown up, those same guys. And they're like, hey, listen, before we just turn everyone away or we divide the church or we close the church because of all these issues, there's probably a resolution here that God has in his hands and let's go seek this out God has some people in this church that are going to be the solution to some of these issues and they're going to all bring things to the table the solution to some of our challenges as a church and the ones we'll see as we grow even more multiple campuses and more services and all that stuff probably the the solution that is sitting right here in the house you're probably it and God's trying to unlock that here today. In verse 5, this is how I know this was God. This was anointed. This, this passage, this moment right here, this is how I know. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. What, the church leaders made a decision and everyone liked it? Everyone liked it. The church leaders made a decision. The whole church was like, yes. That you know is anointed. Come on, Holy Ghost. We need that in our church. We need some unity. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor. Not Nick Cannon, that's a different guy, a different story. (laughs) Nicanor. Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. You're in the Bible. A proselyte from Antioch, whom they said before the apostles, and when they had prayed, laid hands on them. So, there's a, so here's, I want to talk about these guys. 
because there's so many things that all of us can bring to the table. And when we're trying to find our place, how we fit and where we go and what we bring to the church. And when you're creating an organization or your own life and the people you want to surround your life with, here's a lesson here that God and the apostles are trying to teach us. There's three first things, three foundational things they wanted all three of these guys to have. I mean, all seven of these guys. The first one was a good reputation. A good reputation, a good rapport. You can only get that if people know you. So if you're the kind of church member who slips in a little late and slips out a little early and never goes to small groups and never volunteers and it never gives anyone a chance to know you, you might be a great person with a lot of great values, but nobody knows it. Therefore, you have no reputation. Therefore, you're not qualified for this. They won't find you. Well, I'm a good person. God, why won't they use me? Nobody knows you. So they have a good reputation. They're the kind of person who uh, long-term people can see in their life. First Timothy 3 describes it as living above reproach. What that means is if you are living the kind of life where people have to look and kind of question your character, not that you necessarily did anything wrong, but they're just questioning it. They see something that they have to question. If, if they do that, that is reproachable. Someone who lives above reproach is someone who, when you look at their life, there's never a reason to really question them. You never have to be like, I know they're at preaching, but the other night I saw them at the club. You don't ever have to do that to someone living above reproach. Does that make sense? Not that it's condemnation. It's just reproach. But the Bible still says to live above reproach. A good reputation. This is important when you're talking about the people you want close in your life. The people you want to trust. The people you want advising, they have a good reputation. For those of you who are single, the one, who, the one you want to marry one day, do they, be careful of the person who doesn't have a good reputation, even though they're nice to you. Proverbs 31 describes the wife of noble character as someone who her family and everyone close to her will rise up and call her blessed. They have nice things to say about her. So when I was dating my wife, I went and asked her friends and her family behind her back. I just saw what they would say about her. You know, and if they had to apologize for her, hey, just be patient with Cassidy. She's just, she just loses it sometimes. And I might be a little, because that's the truth. They know her best. But they said stuff like, man, she's so caring. She's so thoughtful. She's so loved. She's always been there for us. She's always there. And that, uh, that's Proverbs 31. I got to marry that girl. I got to marry that girl. Because character cannot be separated from covenant relationships. The apostles didn't ask for their administration skills or their resume of how many food pantries have they served before? What church did they work at last? Who do they know? What apostle or priest is showing up on their selfies on their timeline that they know and we can say, you gotta be careful of the people who just look on the surface even. Like they got on paper, it looks like they have it. The apostles weren't asking for any of that. They were like, these guys have a real, true, good reputation of integrity and character. It reminds me of a conversation I had this week about King Saul and King David. Both kings were just humans. Both kings were anointed by God and both kings were sinful. Both kings had issues, just inner issues that God was working through. The main difference between King Saul and King David was when King Saul sinned and his pastor came to him and said, you've been sinning. And he knew that he had been. He knew he had been in rebellion. He knew the presence of God was leaving him. He asked his pastor, hey, 
would you just walk out of this room with me side by side so everyone else still thinks I'm anointed? See me with the pastor. When David sinned and his pastor came to him and said, David, you've been sinning. He, when he realized it, he knew he was in rebellion. He tore his clothes and he fell on his face and he was crying out to God. Even his own security guards thought something was wrong. Is Are you okay? Because he didn't care anymore what they thought. He didn't need their approval anymore. He just wanted the approval of God. He didn't want the perception that he was anointed. He really wanted that closeness and that relationship with God. Be careful about the people who just want to look anointed, who just want to hang with the pastors but never put their face on the floor at the altar, never really seek God. They don't have a reputation like that. They just hang out with the... They just want to seem like they're in the association of men of God, but they're not a man of God. The apostles are more concerned about their character. There are some people who still want to just get by with gift and talent, not anointing and integrity. And I don't even have to give you examples about that. When you just think about church leadership, business leadership, companies, politicians, all kinds of people that try to get by on gift and talent but don't have the integrity and the anointing to keep them there. The Bible says your gift makes room for you, brings you in front of great people. So your gift will give you the opportunity sometimes. But where your gift brings you, it's your character that will keep you. That was the first one, good reputation. The second one is they were full of the Holy Spirit. Not just like a Christian, not just a, uh, they go to church, but the specific type of Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, spirit-filled believer. There's a difference. When you're dating, for instance, you don't just want to date a Christian. You want to date a Christian that's on the same page with you. One of the, one of the questions I asked on one of our first dates was, do you speak in tongues? That's a weird question to ask on one of your first dates. But I decided I'm not, if it's not the case, then we're just not going anywhere further than this. I don't want to just ask, are you a Christian? Because that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. I got youth pastors that call me from around the country and they ask, like, what is going on at Young and Creative? How is that happening? You know, the growth and the, the power of God, the teenagers on stage and they're preaching and they're leading worship and they're just getting in, in love with God. We're running a conference now and And I've got a lot of strategies and ideas and marketing things I could share with them. But I tell them, listen, that the real real thing is the secret thing that nobody sees. Nobody really knows. We don't really post it on Instagram. Here's the real thing. If you show up on Wednesday night, half an hour before service starts, there's a room full of volunteers and even teenage volunteers here speaking in tongues in this room. Speaking in tongues. We have a Holy Ghost rally before service starts every week. Because we realize we can do the marketing, we can give away things and get people in the door, but what really needs to happen in their heart, only he can do. Only he can do. We, need, we, know, we don't even know what we ought to pray. But the Holy Spirit is going to pray that on our behalf. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And the last one is wisdom. Not just smart, not just intelligent, but wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God, the Bible says. So real wisdom comes from God. The apostles can trust these guys because when they get into a crisis, they need to make a decision, they'll go to God. That's wisdom. 
Peter and John were like that. They were ordinary guys who were performing miracles, and they were preaching the word with such authority that everyone looked at them like, these guys didn't go to school for this. They don't have a master's in divinity. They're not scholars. They're not priests. They're just ordinary guys, but somehow they have a boldness and an authority, and I can't put my finger on it, but wait a minute. I think the only thing I can notice that's different about them is that they've been with Jesus. When was the last time you gave advice, you helped someone out, you, you blessed someone, and they couldn't credit your education or your, or your plaques on the wall or your promotion or your position or your own intelligence, and they could just, I don't even know how you know that. I don't even know how you can do the things you do. I don't, I, I, all I know is that you've probably been with Jesus. You've been with Jesus. So the band can come back up because I want to I wanna jump in a little bit more to not just the foundational things that these guys had, but each of these men, it goes on to list all of these men, seven of them, because they all, all had the three foundational things, but each one of them had different characteristics, different identities that God had given them and blessed them with. And I want to just dig into that real quick. I want you to take notes because I'm going to go quick. Because the Bible says, lay hands on no man suddenly or else you might partake in their sin. You want to get to process and get to know some of these guys. So, Stephen, the first one. Stephen means crown. Crown. He was the one who's got his mind in the game. He brought his intelligence to the table. God has anointed his mind. So much so that he figured out a way to preach. And he had set his mind on it so hard that it didn't matter what anybody did to him. He, was, he ended up being the first martyr, the first person who died for the gospel. Receiving a crown in heaven for someone who was willing to do anything to get this gospel message out, no matter if people threatened him. There's some people in here who have that Stephen anointing. You might have that Stephen anointing where you, where you have uh, your mind in it. You have an intelligence that God has given you to lead, to go first, to sacrifice some things, to help some people out, to preach the gospel, to not fear anymore because your mind is like set on it. And when, you're, when you set your mind to something, you'll accomplish it. The second one is Philip. Philip was warlike. Philip means warlike. He was tough. He had strategy like a war leader, like a general. He was the first person who had the title of evangelist. The one who said, hey, I know we're reaching Jerusalem, but there's a group of people over in that country that don't know the gospel yet. Let's go there. And there's people over there that don't know, that haven't heard of any of this yet. Let's go over there and preach to them too. And he started getting people to go around and preach the gospel to places who never heard. He was an evangelist. He was reaching people out of the way. He was tough. He thought tough. He wouldn't back down for anything. It's good to have some tough people at the table. Some of you guys are so, um, so tough. You bring your toughness to the table. And some people will look at that and say, that's annoying. That's hard. You're too harsh. But God has actually put that in you, like Philip, to bring that to the table and advance the kingdom in the way that it wouldn't go. Matthew eleven twelve: the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And then there's progress. This is a good one here. Procris means choir leader. Queenie, this is the production department in the New Testament here. The performing arts ministry is sitting here. Procris, he's the choir leader, or other people call him dance leader. He had the kind of choir that had some choreography. 
right? This is, this is what he brought to the table. He was the music and arts guy. At the table of the church, how many guys love our music worship department that just brings everything they've got to the table and God uses it? And there's some of you in this room that are supposed to be doing that. God's given you a progress anointing to step to the forefront with music and art and lead in that way. Then there's Nicanor. Nicanor means victorious, like a personal victory. Nicanor is that person. Some of you have been fighting things, battling things, and overcome things that are private. No one will ever know the victory you've had. But because you've had that victory personally in your life, you've overcome those temptations personally. You've had victory. God is going to use you to have the confidence you have to help other people. God has called you to be Nicanor. And then there's Timon. Timon means honorable. Listen, honor, the culture of honor is a core value in our church because we know this, that every promotion and demotion in your life is a direct result of who you chose to honor or dishonor. I'll say it one more time. Every promotion and demotion in life is a direct result of who you chose to honor or dishonor. We should value honor. There's a lack of honor in our society, in our generation. And this guy was a guy that was like, no, we're not doing that. We're not dishonoring anybody. We're holding up honor as a banner in this movement, in this church. He was a champion for honor. Then there's Parmenas. Parmenas means permanent. This is the person who would stand firm for years and years. This is the pillar in the church. This is the one that's not hopping churches, skipping churches, going to another church just because things get tough. The Bible says, having done everything to stand, stand therefore with the armor of God. One of my mentors, Dr. Cass, he says, you can teach a man to be able, but you can't teach him to be faithful. Like they, that's why the apostles didn't care if they knew how to run the food distribution. They can teach him that. They will learn that skill. What they can't learn is this faithfulness. Some of you guys have been in here. Chris and Carrie, you guys have been in this house for years. You guys have a parmenis anointing, a permanence. No matter what happens, no matter what the world throws at this church, no matter the people that have come and the people that have gone, God has anointed you to be pillars in this house and stand the ground, be permanent fixtures. Parmenis. And then there's, uh, then there's Nicholas. And Nicholas is just like Nicholas. Nicholas over here. Nicanor means personal victory. Nicholas means victory for all of us. This is a guy who doesn't even talk about his victories. He's like, hey, you're winning. Hey, you're doing great. Hey, come on, we got this together. Hey, we got an anointing together. We're going to win this together. Look at our whole youth ministry is doing this. Our whole church is, he's the guy that celebrates the, the victories for everybody. You need that guy on the team. Come on, Nicholas. We need that. And so some of you, all of you have, have one of these things, bringing it to the table. And the apostles are teaching here about priorities. They, they value character over skill, integrity over talent, prayer over busyness, the word over tasks, relationships over rituals. And the church should be involved in the charitable, charitable works like that food distribution program. That's important. It wasn't a neglected complaint. They had a structure for it, but they put it in priority. Like word and prayer is still first. 
So the church should do things like free grocery giveaways that we're doing this Thursday and, and the ultrasound bus that we can uh, rescue babies and the orphanage and, and the widows that we support in Guatemala and the mission trips and the homeless outreaches and the, and the stances against uh, racism and sex trafficking and poverty and night to shine outreach with, for those with special needs, uh, gas card giveaways for single moms. I love what our church does. That is important, but all of that is birthed out of prayer and his word because prayer and his word have to be first, even in our own lives. Because when we need help or when someone in our life needs help, we can go to a program, we can go to a, an assistance uh, program, we can go to things, we can go to doctors, we can go to all kinds of things. But he said in his word, I left my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Does it come from the program? Does it come from the nonprofit? No, those are great systems and tools that God will use. But my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's telling you, I've got heaven and earth in my hands. Everything I have is yours. Just come to me. I'm a dad. I've got a son. And he walks around the house and looking for something, he opens the fridge and he doesn't see it there. He opens the cupboard and he might not see it there and he's craving something and looking for something, but he never comes to me. Little does he know that even if it's not in the fridge right now, if it's not in the cupboard right now, if he wants it and he came to his dad, I have the resources to still get it for him. And God is saying that to some of us here, that we're looking at the job for it. We're looking at the relationship for it. We're looking over here for it and you need it and you crave it. But if you came to your father, did you know he's got heaven and he's got earth? in his hands that he's got everything he's got the resource even if you don't see it now he's still got it for you come to him first and I want to close with this everyone stand to your feet just spending time the greatest gift you can even give to someone if you want to help them is the word of God. I mean, bless your children and your grandchildren and take them out to lunch and coach them about career and college and, and give them advice about relationships. But the best thing you can invest into them is the word. It's not that we neglect putting food on the table, but we learned that man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the word says in Revelation, Chapter 2, verse 2 says, I know your works. God is saying, I know your labor and your patience. I know that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles, but they're not, and found them liars. You have persevered and you have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You've been doing a really good job with all of these tasks that are in front of you. You're really good at it. You care a lot. Your heart's in the right place there. But I have this one thing, this one thing I just want to bring up in your life. And the Holy Spirit's bringing it to some of us this morning. One thing I have against you is that you have left your first love. It's not that those things aren't important, but it shouldn't be prioritized over just time with me. Just time with me. And my prayer for our church as we go into this uh, Pentecost Sunday and our presence conference coming up, that even, even throughout the week as it leads up, that we just return to our first love. Yes, we have a lot on our plate. I've got a lot on my plate. We got the to-do list. It's long. And that's important. And do it. But we got to put the priority in place. Let's not, let's, sometimes some of that has to let go so you can spend the time. Sometimes you have to ask someone else to do You have to delegate like the apostles did. Sometimes you have to put some people in your life around you who have good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to help coach and guide. So
so that you can remember to return back to your first love. This is a word that God was speaking to me this week. But I can let go. Sometimes he has to force me to let go of that list. Just let it go. Literally force me. So I can return to the first love. The thing that got me there first. The thing that even put me in the presence. The thing that even put me on the stage. It's him. Hey, if this sermon blessed you and your family, I wanna encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.